Lord, thank you for this day so that we could come to your house just to fellowship with each other in your name, to learn your will, to read your word. And just please open our ears and our hearts to, to hear your word, to see your wisdom. And just open my mouth to give your word. And just please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, I hope everybody brought snacks. I've got about five pages of notes. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a two-hour two hour little deal, and, and then they'll never ask me to do this again. Uh, so, uh, so that's fine. Um, what we're going to do is uh, we've been talking about the, uh, the winning battle and basically just going over the struggles of the Israelites and, and their struggle to remain faithful for God. And what we're going to talk about today is kind of just a, a brief offshoot of that, a um, couple, of, couple of hundred years down the road. So a uh, little history recap. I love history. Um, I had a, uh, a teacher in Sunday school as a kid that uh, instilled a love of history in me. And uh, it has just grown, and, and I just thoroughly love history. So we're going to get a little bit of history recap. Uh, so after King Solomon died, David's son, the nation of Israel had a civil war, and it was basically split into two. So you had the southern kingdom of Judah, which was basically the tribe of Judah and, uh, and, ben and Benjamin, and it was led by Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now, then you had the northern kingdom, and it basically had the other ten tribes, and uh, it was led by Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was a worker that Solomon had basically promoted up and, and became of, of pretty good prominence. Um, so that's, that's where we're starting off. There's the kingdom is split. So you have the northern and southern kingdoms. And uh, then we go to, uh, John, did you have the map? Perfect. So that just kind of gives you an example of the split of the two kingdoms. And uh, it was really cool. They were about to go to war. And basically God just put his, hand, his fist down and said, no, you guys don't fight each other. But we're not going to talk about that. Um, so what we're going to talk about is the prophet Hosea. So Hosea, uh, this, this takes place about 650 years after they had entered the promised land and about 250 years after King David. Um, so it's around 8th century B.C. Just kind of to give you some facts to, uh, to wow and dazzle you. Um, so if you can turn to Hosea chapter 1. Um, we're going to start reading from there. And I don't want you guys to feel free to interject and ask questions. And um, if you ask me a question that I don't know, then I might consult some of you. And uh, if nobody knows it, then we'll pray about it and come back next week. Um, so we'll go from there. All right, so chapter 1 in Hosea. The word, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Berai, during the reigns of Uzzah, Uzziah, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and, Ezah, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Johash, king of Israel. So it starts off, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. This identifies Hosea as a prophet of God. Um, he was a man of God that God used to speak his word. Um, Hosea also means salvation. Um, so Hosea lived in the northern kingdom, and uh, it says that uh, 
his ministry began in the days of Jeroboam. It's actually Jeroboam the second. And um, this was a time that was known to be very prosperous for the kingdom, for the northern kingdom. Very prosperous, you know, good times flowed. So when the good times flow, what happens to the people? They do. They come complacent, and then they turn even further into wickedness. So that's kind of where we are. It's a very, it's a rich and fancy time. Everybody's got new shoes and, and a new jacket. But there was, it's a time of spiritual and moral decay. Uh, all the Israelites were turning to other gods, um, Baal significantly. And uh, so it was just a very bad time. Um, and just like we said, in, in bad times, they turn to wickedness and they don't turn to God. So that's kind of setting the stage for where we are. Now let's go to verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So the first word that God has for Hosea is a command to go pick out an unfaithful wife. Now, I've been married nine years, and that is not one of the criteria I look for when I chose a mate. Um, I, you know, that's just probably not wise counsel. Um, but that's what God told him. And, you know, that's, uh, did he hesitate or did, uh, you know, he question it? It doesn't say he did, so I don't think he did. He obeyed. He went and found a wife of, of adultery. Put yourself in Hosea's shoes. Here he is, a prophet of God. You know, he was probably doing his trade, and God started speaking to him. And that's what God told him to do. And, you know, as, as a guy growing up, you know, you always dream about, oh, who am I going to marry, you know, and, and things like that. At no point during his childhood dreams did he probably ever dream of marrying purposeful, purposefully a woman of ill repute. Um, basically someone who prostitutes himself. <coughs> so, but that's where he finds himself. Um, God did explain why, though, and I don't know that there's a ton of examples in the Bible where God actually explained why something's happening when he told him. He said that God said that um, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing for the Lord. So God wanted Hosea to understand what he was going through. Because throughout the Bible, you have the, uh, the symbolism of God and Jesus being the husband or the bridegroom. And then we, the people, the Israelite nation and, and us who have been grafted in, being his chosen bride. And it's just a, a beautiful symbolism in what he's getting Hosea to go through and what he's going through. Because his people are being adulterous. They're turning to idols. They're not obeying their their husband. Um, so I, I thought that, that spoke pretty well. Um, Israel, the Israelites' devotion to the idols is basically just like the lust of an adulteress. And his people were as unfaithful as a prostitute. So there you go. Um, this kind of made me think about what it means to be unfaithful. And if you read this, it basically is telling you that if you put anything in front of God, 
you are being unfaithful. You are basically falling in love with something else. You are being an adulteress to your mate. Um, so with that in mind, let's read chapter verse 3 through 5. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibalam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So just like everything in the Bible, this has two meanings. It, it speaks to a prophecy um, to avenge the massacre uh, of uh, in Jezreel um, where Ahab's descendants were, were killed. Not the Ahab that you're thinking of, another Ahab. Um, but the, the, f the focus that we're going to take is we're going to talk about the name of the son that God told him to name. God told Hosea to name his firstborn um, son Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered. Um, it has another meaning, which we'll talk about later, but it means scattered. And it's basically saying that God's giving a warning through this child. And every time this child's name is mentioned, it's a warning to the people that you will be scattered. God was going to send an Assyrian army to invade the kingdom of Israel and basically conquer it and send them into exile and, and slavery and, and kick them out. So they would literally be scattered to the winds. So before Hosea's ministry was finished, Israel was in fact invaded by the Assyrian army and it was defeated. It was destroyed and everybody was taken captive. Ca uh, captive. So let's read verse 6 and 7. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo Ram Ramaha. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm going to butcher these names. Um, so there you go. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by a bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. So we're going to kind of break that into two. Uh, lo Rahama, please correct me, Miss Linda, if I butchered that. It means not loved or no mercy. And so basically, it's, it's just kind of an increasing level of, you know, you have, you're going to be scattered, so you're going to be punished by being scattered and being invaded. No loved, not loved or no mercy basically means that, you know, he's going to take his hand away, and what's going to happen is what's going to happen. But he is going to provide mercy on the house of Judah. So the house of Judah is the line of King David and Solomon, and he stayed faithful to them. The same Assyrian army that invaded uh, the uh, kingdom of Israel tried to invade the kingdom of Judah to the south, and they failed. They failed to conquer it because an angel of the Lord went throughout the camp of the enemies and killed 185,000 soldiers, just like that. Not the sword, not the bow, not by horses or, or horsemen or anything like that. Oh, angel of the Lord. So with that, let's read verse 8 and 9. And after she had weaned uh, Lo-Rahamaha, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Amai, 
for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Lo, Ami, I mean not my people. You know, when I was reading this, I couldn't help but think, is there a double meaning to this? You know, obviously, Gomer was an adulteress, and she strayed from marriage and prostituted herself. Was the son not Hosea's? Just kind of carrying a, a double meaning to not my people, you know, representing the Israelite uh, nation, uh, the northern kingdom, and then also just identifying this is not my child, you know. Um, it doesn't say, but I sometimes I just think that that's kind of how God works out. Uh, so, so, but it, I don't want you to read this and think that God just left. The people rejected God. God did not reject the people. Um, have you guys ever tried to help somebody that just did not want your help? My daughter, I love her. She's awesome, but she can be, mm, you know, you just want to pinch her head off. Sometimes if she does something where she hurts herself and it embarrasses her, she becomes a, a bawling mess. But you'll try to pick her up and like, you know, oh, it's okay. She won't have anything to do with it. She's like, no. And, you know, try as you might, and I'll try to be as loving and as gentle, after I stop laughing, uh, as possible. And, and she'll just have none of it. You basically, you just got to walk away. And when she's ready to, to love you again, she'll come to you. And, and that's how it was right here. God didn't stop loving the people. The people went away from God. So he just had to basically step back and, and let them let them go. And uh, so I, that's, uh, I just didn't want you to read that wrong. Um, now let's talk about the names of the children. And, and it shows God's increasing judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel. You have the scattered, which is the punishment of being invaded and exiled and, and put in captivity. And then you have no love and no mercy, basically saying that you're, you're moving yourself out of my hands, you know. And then you have uh, low am I, which is not my people. And it's basically a divorcement, you know. If we're the bride, if you leave the marriage, you're divorcing. Um, you're divorcing that relationship. So it's just kind of an escalation of unfaithfulness, and um, that kind of uh, just spoke to me on that. So let's go into verse 10 and 11. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered. It also means to sow and to reap. So even though all these kids' names, and, and Hosea is basically talking, God, through Hosea, you know, God's telling Hosea to say this, this increasing level of punishment, he's giving hope. This, is, this judgment is not going to last forever. There will be redemption in the end. There will be reconciliation. We will all be one in the end. So even though they're being unfaithful, 
we're still one family, we're one body, and, and they'll get together in the end. So with that, let's jump over to Hosea chapter 3. This is where it gets good. It's all good, but this is where it gets really good. Okay, so, sorry. Um, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So, God told Hosea to go marry a woman that is known to be unfaithful. And he did it without hesitation. Now, I, I'm sure she's strayed away from the marriage and is just, you know, off doing, is off prostituting herself. And God tells Hosea, Hosea, go get her. Go get her, love her again. She's with, some, she's with someone else right now, but she's yours. She is your bride, go get her. So, and even he, he tells her to go and get her and love her, even though she's continuing to commit adultery, even though she's continuing to prostitute herself to, to all these other things. So, Hosea was directed to love when it must have been very hard to love. So, that's a mirror of God's love. Despite the incredible wickedness that we do, he still loves us, regardless of what we do. And he still wants a relationship with us. And uh, I'm going to use the example that my wife did uh, a couple of Sundays ago. When Adam and Eve first sinned, and they, were, they hid themselves because they were ashamed, because they realized they were naked, what did God do? God went looking for them. He, he sought them out. And, you know, that's how much he loves us. Even though we do all these things to take ourselves out of God's hands, we're still there. He still loves us. All we need to do is ask for him. So with that, let's read verse 2 and 3. So I bought her, actually just, uh, yeah, 2 and 3. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lefkef of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. So a lot of historians think that at this point, Gomer was a slave. She was either a slave due to an offense that she had committed or being in debt and, and different things like that. So a lot of historians think that she was a slave. Some people think that she was just basically into prostitution. And um, so he basically, he bought her back. Now, going back to the, to the law at the time, Hosea was her husband. She basically belonged to Hosea. He didn't have to buy her back. She was his. So him going through the act of buying her back is just a further example of his love to her. He did something that he didn't even have to do to get her back. And it was because he loved her. Now, as a prophet, I, I'm sure he wasn't rich. Um, I fi hi find it highly unlikely that as a prophet, he had a lot of money running around, running lying around in a lot of bank accounts and, and things offshore and things like that. Um, he barely, he probably just had enough to live by. But he scraped together 
everything he had. And I just know it worked out this way. He he's heard that she was going to be in an auction. He went probably sold everything he had to get as much money as he could so that when he went, he went with everything he had. And just to put it into perspective, what he gave was about six months' wages. Um, if you ask me if I have six months' wages in the bank, that's a negative. That's a no. Um, so that's a lot of money. Um, in Exodus 21.32, it talks about the price of a slave if one is accidentally killed. Guess how much that is? 30 pieces of silver. Now, the crazy thing is, so Hosea gave 15 pieces of silver and, uh, let's see, one homer of and, a, and a left hip of barley, which is basically like one and a half things of barley. Guess how much that, that equaled monetarily? 15 pieces of silver. So you got 15 pieces of silver plus 15 pieces of silver. You got 30 pieces of silver. The amount that it takes for to basically pay for a slave. Barley was also used in offerings for one who commits adultery. Uh, that's in Numbers 5.15. So it's just, there's just so many levels to this. It's, it's incredible. So just to recap, you have an unfaithful bride, a wife that, or a spouse that loves another, that seeks after another. You have a loving husband that sacrificed all, everything he had, to redeem the adulterous spouse. Does that sound familiar? It does. Um, I'm going to refer to a classic uh, verse, John 3.16. I think we all know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm also going to read 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Jesus sacrificed himself to save us all. He went through unimaginable things. You know, there's a, a song that I, I like. Uh, it's a Christmas song. Um, it's a little bit more recent and up-tempo, so I probably, you guys probably don't know it. Um, but uh, the chorus goes, oh, let me think about it. Did you know when you opened your eyes that you would be my Savior? Did you know at your first breath that you were going to change this world forever? And, you know, just as awesome as God is, I can't help but have this picture of Jesus as a kid being man and God and knowing what's to come as a five-year-old as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old, 20, 25, and, and carrying that every day of your life. You know, if you have a dentist appointment and you know you're going to have to get a root canal and it's like two weeks away 
don't you just sweat bullets? <laughs> I mean, no one wants to root now. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's something that's pretty minor. I just can't imagine that the Son of God going through 30, 33 years of his life knowing what's going to happen. He knew how his story was going to end. He did with everything he had. And, and just growing up, you know, his, his siblings, he didn't get along, his siblings didn't like him. You know, and then just all the mockery he went through, beating with by the soldiers during, the, you know, the crucifixion, mocking of the soldiers, the actual act of the crucifixion. I, and through it all, he still asked for us to be forgiven before he gave up his spirit. That's love. There is a, uh, bear with me real quick. There's a story that uh, I heard uh, a couple of years ago, and it was a youth leader or a teenager that had attended the youth conference, and it was on abstinence, 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 and uh, basically saving yourself from marriage. And what happened was the speaker took a rose, beautiful rose, beautiful, and started passing it around. And as that rose went through these hundreds and thousands of hands, it started to look pretty rough. Petals started to fall off, the stem broke. And when it made its way back to the stage, he used it as an example, you know, that for, you know, to state, you know, sacred and wait for marriage before you have relations. And, and at the climax of his speech, he basically held up the rose, this broken, tattered rose that was falling to pieces. And he said, who could love this? Who could love this? And the guy who that was attending just said he wanted to stand up and scream, Jesus would. Jesus would love that. That's the kind of love that God has for us. God's love is not conditional to us. God's love is not dependent on us. It is unconditional. That doesn't exist anywhere in the world. My wife loves me. I love my wife. There are times she doesn't love me as much, and I may not love her as much. There's never that moment between us and God. God may not be proud of what we're doing, but the love is there, and the love will save us. We are all adulterers whenever we put something else before God. Now, I could, I could just start calling out examples, but I'm going to give you two examples. I am adultery. I love to read. When I go home at night, I read when I can. More times than not, I choose man's word instead of God's. And that's not right. I have a game on my phone, and I play it. I wouldn't say I'm addicted, but I play it. My wife might argue that case. Where's the glory for God in that? How does God get glorified through me playing that game? How does God get glorified through re me reading things that has nothing to do with me? 
if it doesn't glorify God, what's the point of doing it? We are here to glorify God because he bought us with every ounce of love that he has. So we sang, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Um, that is a very special song to me. It, uh, some of the lyrics just speak to me so that when I, I, I feel like the song's about me. Um, I'm going to go over some of the, uh, the lyrics. The second verse says, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the throne of God, or the fold of God, here to rescue me from danger and interpose his precious blood. I'm a stranger, wandering from the throne of God, and he saved me by dying for me. And then, uh, I don't know if this is a, the a real verse or if this was just made for that song that we heard, but the verse after that, Oh, that day when freed from sinning. How awesome is that going to be? To be with him and not feel the pull of the world and, and our sinful, wicked nature. So on that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Clothe it then in blood-washed linen. It's the only way to get it clean. How I'll sing thy sovereign grace. And then it skips down. and Oh, to grace how a debtor, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm sure we all have that one thing that we stray from God in that we let that get in front of God on occasion. Hopefully you don't, but you might. I just wish, and God's helping me with, me with this, and he'll help you. I wish there was a way that we could just bind our hearts to him so we wouldn't have to worry about it. You know, just get it out and get it going. This last, uh, this last section is the one that speaks to me the most. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I don't know about you, but I feel the pull of the world. I may not give in to it a lot, but I feel it. And it's it feels like it's getting stronger and more wicked every day. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's terribly sad. But then you have a chance out. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You know, how many have, have any of you ever tried to lose weight? <laughs> right? And that's like everybody in the world. I, I've, uh, ever since, um, I'd been married a couple of years, maybe three, and bless Aunt Jean's heart, she, uh, came up to me, patted my belly, and said, so marriage has been good to you, hasn't it? Because I had gained so much weight. Um, so ever since then, I've tried to be a little bit more conscious about my weight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I did a pretty good job. I lost about 80, 80 pounds, something like that. Um, I've gained some back. But in, in my battle with weight, I, God's used it, and I've realized that you may be doing great, 
you may be, you know, you may have lost those five pounds and, and you're hoping you can keep them off. And then that commercial will come on, a, a Taco Bell having that new burrito. And you'll go get that new burrito and you just weigh the next morning and it's just, you're back where you started. And, and it takes, so your gain is ruined in an instant. And it takes, well, <laughs> yeah, one for later. That's true. That's like, uh, <laughs> we, we, we don't need to talk about food. Um, but all that hard work and, and effort is ruined in an instant. And then it sometimes feels like it takes twice as long to get back. Sometimes I feel like my, my struggle with God's the same way. You know, you'll be doing great, and then you'll slip. And then it takes, it's that much harder to get back in sync with God. So that, that's what it just, it speaks to me, the song. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So the next time you hear that song, I hope you'll think of it a little bit differently. Um, it's a special song. So, all right. So let's see. So even though we are prone to wonder, and even though we are adulterous in our love to God, He sent His Son to die for us because He loves us. All we have to do is accept that love and be faithful. So what I'd like to do now is uh, I've asked John to play a song. And the lyrics are not going to be on the screen. I, I don't even want anybody to sing it. If you really want to, go to town. Let's, I'm not going to take, you know, I'm not going to hold up the spirit. But I want you to listen to this song. So if you can, I'd like you to bow your head. And, and close your eyes and then just listen. Listen to this song.
bad as we are, Jesus died for us. His love saved us. All we have to do is let him. I'm going to say a prayer. And after that, I'd like everybody to stand. And then we're going to sing our last song. And then we'll be good to go. Thank you, Lord. Just thank you for allowing us to be in your house and read your word. Just thank you for this lesson. Just let us let us take your word out into the world and be the light in the darkness so that we can lead people to you. Let everything we do glorify you. Help us stay true. Help us stay faithful to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't want to leave on a a somber note.